Welcome to the Digital Solicitor Podcast with me, Christina Grasco. The subject under discussion today is how you would build your digital brand in 2023 and why you'd want to do this. I'm delighted to be joined in this conversation by Craig Matthews, who is the Director of Lifetime Planning at Leap, and Rich Dibbons, who is the founder of Staxton Digital, whose aim is to combine business development and digital marketing to increase law firm revenue. Now, I've said this before, but marketing is perceived by lawyers as a bit of a black art and also an unwelcome side effect of doing business. But firms need clients and clients respond to marketing. So firms must engage in it, engage properly and measure the success they have from each tactic they spend time and money on. And there will be several tactics that a firm will employ simultaneously, including the obvious investment needed on a great website and engaging proactively in online reviews. So our focus today is going to be on digital brand. Let's take a moment to understand what we mean by this. Everyone is aware of what a brand is and can easily name several of them from Nike to John Lewis. The point of a brand is to tell people who we are and what value we will provide to them. It helps build trust to ensure people will use your firm when they need a lawyer. Digital branding is about telling that story in the digital space. And it can be daunting, especially if you're new to it or if you're trying to do this work alongside your legal work. So today we're going to take a short tour through the elements of digital branding and having a digital marketing strategy so that by the end of the session, we'll leave you with some key takeaways to help boost your digital marketing strategy in 2023. So welcome to you both, Craig and Rich. Can I start by asking you to introduce yourselves? Yes, certainly. Um, My name is Craig Matthews, as Christina said. I'm the Director of Lifetime Planning here at Leap Legal Software. I've been working in the legal technology industry for over 20 years now. I've done a range of roles in that time, but I've always been focused on helping businesses drive their businesses forward and how they can develop it for a better future. Thank you, Rich. Morning, everybody. My name's Rich Dibbins, and I'm the founder of Staxton Digital. I've been in the legal sector for a little over 10 years, not as many as uh, Craig has. And my role has been helping law firms uh, and legal providers basically create their digital brand and increase their digital presence. Excellent. In which case, you're probably the person to answer my first question, which is, can you explain what we mean by a digital marketing strategy? Yes. Uh, In the simplest of way, there's no silver bullet or the very closest to a silver bullet within a digital strategy is PPC, pay-per-click. But the wonderful thing with digital is everything can be measured. Uh, Unfortunately, with traditional marketing, let's say, for example, printing, once you send something out, unless you have a trackable number or a QR code on there, it's very hard to track it once it's gone out the door. I actually transitioned from working in print and design to digital because digital was a lot more effective and the, the tracking aspect. But digital, digital strategy is not just one entity. It's many aspects. Probably the core ones are social media, SEO, PPC, and your website. You've then got other aspects outside of that, such as you know your newsletters basically your personal branding, so your online, so just your, your individual online branding, for, say for LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok even for some lawyers who are out there at the moment. But I would say your digital strategy encompasses many buckets, if you will, and it's understanding where to put your resources, where to put your budget. And the beautiful thing about digital is if something changes, let's say, for example, 
Google or the search engines make a change and you need to address your adjust your SEO, you can then maybe move some budget to PPC. So the flexibility with digital is is so much easier now than than ever before. But as I said, it's 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 a number of buckets that you work with within a digital strategy. Yes, there are a lot more options and there's so much more you can do, but I think therein lies the problem a little bit, doesn't it? Because in amongst that you have to focus, you have to decide your channels, your audience and what works best for the people that you're talking about. So can we narrow this down a bit and say, within the context of a law firm, how do I decide what channels to use, who I'm talking to? If you'd have asked me that question two and a half years ago, I would have said, focus on your core one is your your website, content for your website. There's this phrase, content is king. Content basically needs to help drive visitors to your website. But now we're past the two years and obviously what's happened over the last last uh, 24 months, social media has just exploded. Reason being is because uh, nobody was allowed to visit anybody and they had to focus on a key area. And probably in the last eight months, I've seen a lot of lawyers focus on their individual branding. So you've got the law firm's branding and then the individual's branding. And more and more lawyers now are actually basically promoting themselves as individuals on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram. Instagram, and as I mentioned, TikTok. So if I was going to focus on a particular key area at the moment, which is very, very strong for law firms, it's your your profile, it's your personal branding of your profile, because people buy people. And as you kind of mentioned at the very beginning, it's knowing like, well, trusting who you are and the confidence to trust and to buy professional services from you. I speak to a lot of lawyers and a lot of them all say, well, I'm the best. I offer the best service. Uh, We've got the greatest reviews. And I go, oh, and they've been established for 9,000 years. I go, how are you any different to the other law firms? So important aspect of personal branding is putting your personal branding out there that is different to other people. And I don't mean doing silly jumps on TikTok. Somebody asked me, should I be, you know, somebody's told us we should be on TikTok. And I go, okay, do you understand the relevance and the key aspects around that? And they said, no. I said, so why would you take advice on something that you've not really looked into? And when we did look into it, they were like, we're not even doing the bare basics at the moment. So for me, it would be social media for a lawyer, but getting the basics right and then managing the expectations. There are some lawyers who will try LinkedIn, for example, for a couple of months and go, it didn't work for me. And they've posted twice. There's a probably the best uh, kind of story I say around that is. If you want to get fit, you go to the gym for six months, you know, you, you know, to, I don't know, to, if you're running a marathon, you don't just go running once a week, you go running two, three, four, five times a week to build up to the marathon. So if you're looking to increase your brand, you need to put the effort in, but you don't need to put in hours and hours every week. You just need to start chipping away in it and contributing. And that will then start to increase your personal brand. But if I was to choose any one particular avenue at the moment, it would be social media because it's more your time you need to allocate to it. Whereas SEO PPC, I, I get there's lots of videos online that you can learn this, but you could also do things very wrong and very badly around SEO and PPC. And I've heard some horror stories where lawyers or law firms will spend tens of thousands of pounds on PPC and they get nothing for it. I always say, if, you, if you've got a problem, a leaky bucket in your a leaky toilet in your house, you don't hire an electrician for it. You hire a plumber. Um, If you need a PPC manager or an SEO experience, SEO manager, you hire one of those to do the job for you. But social media, it's just your time that you need to allocate for that. Craig, can I ask you, the lawyers that you see day to day, would they really grasp that message about social media? Are lawyers there yet with it? So some are. 
and some of the clients I work with post on social media regularly and I believe get good traction from that. I think maybe for me, it's about taking a slight step back and trying to work out what you want to achieve. So from a digital business development point of view, what is it you are trying to achieve? And based on what you're trying to achieve, how much are you going to allocate in terms of time and how much you can allocate in terms of actual budget? Rich said, you've got PPC options, you bring in SEA people, you can bring in additional experts. I'm sure Rich will be very happy to receive some telephone calls following this webinar. So once you understand what it is you want to achieve, I think then what you need to work out is what swim lanes you want to swim in. And definitely, I think Chris is absolutely right. Social media is one that we absolutely need to swim in. Your social media normally is going to back out to your website as well. So you can't just forget about your website. That website needs to be good and it needs to have a similar feel to what your social media is saying as well. There's no point putting through social media posts that say that you do this and then go into your website to find it's something completely different. So think of that as, a, as an ongoing communication. And then again, look at the audience you want to attract and therefore what platform you want to be on. Speak to an expert who will be able to tell you, well, you know, the TikTok platform, the average user, the age on there is going to be different from Facebook. And again, will be different from LinkedIn. Which one of those is the one you want to be spending your time in? Which one of those relates mostly to the clients you want to attract? So say some clients are getting it. I think some clients are in a position where they know they want to do it, but don't always know what they want to achieve from it. And I think you have to understand what you want to achieve from it, because if you understand what you want to achieve from it, you can then put a, a, a strategy in place. You can put a plan in place. And most importantly, you can record to see whether or not it's working for you. And if it's not working, then you need to tweak things. There's no point just keeping doing something and then not understanding whether or not it's actually having any benefit. Can we talk about brand for a minute? If I am a solicitor what what am I saying about who I am and, and how does that correlate to brand? Rich, can you help me with that? Assume that I've come to you completely raw recruit. What is it that I need to be saying publicly on social media to build that brand? Okay, so brand, I just want to quickly kind of squash one particular thing. Brand is not just your logo. Just because you've got a shiny logo, that is not brand. Brand is everything. I always used to, when I uh, did talks going out, uh, I would always say, uh, what is M&S famous for? What's their brand famous for? And it's it's not the you know the golden green lettering or the green uh, green background gold lettering or anything like that. It was their customer service. It was their brand. That's what you know John Lewis M&S. All of those kind of high end brands. They're popular for their customer service. But from a lawyer's perspective, brand can also be how how do you answer the phone? Uh, you know, do you have an out of office? How do you communicate with your invoicing? It's lots of aspects that you engage with your clients, even from your receptionist. When they walk into your offices, how are they greeted? Are they met by, as I nickname, a Moody Mildred or, you know, a, 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 an obscured, weird, wonderful individual? Or are they welcomed in and go, hi, well, nice to meet you. Would you like a cup of tea or coffee? Whatever it may be. So your brand is all the touch points that you have with your clients. So if you come across as, you know, kind of rude or intrusive or incredibly opinionated, and I, I get, you know, some lawyers are in that area, that will reflect reflect badly to your prospects. So uh, yeah, it's, it's many, many touch points with for, for your brand. It's not just your logo. It's an interesting use of word of prospects there, because of course, that is partly where the, the tectonic plate is with culture, isn't it, between lawyers and, and clients. I think the first gap to be filled here is absolutely saying it out loud that clients are sales prospects, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And how, kind of back to the branding, how do you want your clients to remember you? What do you want them going away feeling? Do you want them going away feeling, oh, I didn't understand a thing that lawyer said to me, I'm more confused than ever? Or do you want them going away thinking, 
I'm so glad I spoke to that person. They've got everything. They've covered everything I needed. I can go home and I can sleep and I can rest easy tonight. Nobody wakes up first thing in the morning. I didn't wake up first thing this morning thinking, I need a lawyer. You know, you basically, we need lawyers for when something goes wrong or we're making a distress purchase. So think about how you want to leave your client's feeling or prospective client's feeling. So if you've done a quote for them, follow up with them. Some lawyers don't follow up prospects on their quoting. And a lot of business is lost. And I don't mean chasing this. Don't confuse chasing with following up. Following up can be, hi, we spoke about, you know, convincing you're, you're, you know, you're looking to buy or sell a property in the next three months. Here's a tips. Here's some 10 tips on how to buy or sell a property over the next six months, whatever it may be. Give them some useful content that they are going to think, I feel valued. They've sent that through to me rather than just saying, hi, we sent you through your quote. What do you want to do? Well, I've got quotes from nine other lawyers. Which one do you think is going to stand out? It's going to be the one that's giving the most value to the the client or the prospective client. And that's where lawyers will stand above the rest is by adding that additional value. I think the concept of of prospects is absolutely right. Um, Back when I was doing my ILEX course a long, long time ago, I had a tutor called John Duddington, an old uh, QC who very much spoke of law of the the art of performing law. So I, I am sure you have a stern word or two for me if I start talking about prospects and client prospecting. But, but you're right. Ultimately, this is a business. And I think we need to get over that objection between it being a business and, as Mr. Dunnington used to do, a form of art when he were, were to stand up in a courtroom. But it is really that prospect of, of working with clients, help them understand what it is that you can uh, provide to them, the and assistance that they sought and they need is what you can do Um, and you do it differently and you do it better and this is why and that is how you're going to communicate that and get that value across to your clients. So that does two things in one go doesn't it? It builds the brand and also it starts to build trust doesn't it? Because the the other thing as Rich quite rightly points out when people go to a lawyer it's for something important in their lives so trust is a key ingredient from the get-go. How do you do that for the period before the client thinks to talk to you? How do you do that as part of your marketing strategy? What shows trust? I'm going to say the first thing is first thing is going to be is reviews. So uh, online reviews helps to build instill confidence in the, you know your prospective client. So either you know if, if you're speaking to a, a prospective client about a particular area of law, having testimonials or reviews ready and saying, look, just so you know, these are what other clients have said about this particular service. That builds confidence. When somebody builds confidence in a buyer, then they start to build trust around it. And it's building the rapport. I've always said sales and marketing are two dirty words in the legal sector. But as Craig has said, it is a business. You know, if you are charging for something, you are selling. Don't label it as selling, but that is what you are doing. And it's how you approach that selling aspect. Bamboozling a a prospect with legal jargon just does not work. You know, sending them, you know, 10 10 page letter full of information doesn't help. Instead, giving it to them in plain English backing it up with the relevant information that obviously the the client will need or prospective client, and then stating, this is how we've done this for other clients. This is the outcome that they've received. I appreciate client confidentiality and all those areas. I represent um, an employment lawyer in in the city. They can't put the names of their clients in their testimonials. I said, but can we put the area that the client works in, so the music industry or the media. He said, yeah, absolutely. I said, let's use that then, because then that starts building confidence for other people who are looking for their services in those particular areas. It's all about just chipping away and adding to that particular picture to build that confidence. And that then instills trust. And then once they know, like, and trust you, then they will buy from you. 
one of the things I've noticed that a number of the clients I work with have done and done really quite well is extended the bios on their website. So the, the meet the team area. And, and indeed, this is a great material for um, social media posts. So explain who it is who's going to be dealing with your matter. Explain a bit about what they do and how long they've been doing this for and why they are you know, the, the, the guys who do it so well. So as Rich said, it, we are selling a product. That product is going to be dealt with by a member of that, that legal team. The person who is instructed wants to know they're the very best at that and wants to know why they're so good. Not just the law firm, but the individual they'll be dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And bios and information about that person help build that trust. I'd like to echo, yeah, with, with bios as well, lawyers are human beings. Some people say to me, what should I put in my bio? And I've spoke to so many lawyers. I've spoken to about 20 lawyers in the last three weeks. One represented, uh, was in the uh, Paralympics. One is a yoga instructor. One has played golf with uh, Tiger Woods. Actually, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. These were all things. And I said, these are not on your profile. And I said, if you've done, if you're a yoga instructor or she's training to become one and you're a managing partner of a law firm, I was like, that's really useful. And we're going to put that in her newsletter. I said, because imagine you've got prospective clients or clients who do yoga and you never realized that you had this kind of common goal or common uh, subject matter that you could talk on. That just then builds that relationship with that client or prospect even better. Review solicitors, they do uh, reviews on individual profiles. So yeah, as, as Craig has mentioned, sharing in and having the human aspect of your profile is what will resonate with your clients. You know, I get you've been established for 9,000 years, you came to the bar or you, you're accredited, you're 25 years PQE, whatever it may be. But if you show the human side, that's what people will remember you for. I think there is a habit which is yet to completely go that lawyers think they're writing bios for other lawyers, which is why they parade their credentials, their PQE and everything else. So I think that's a really important point. Can't be stressed enough that actually you're not talking to other lawyers, are you? I have that. Uh, I'd say that to clients almost all the time. I go, unless you are selling to other law firms, don't worry what other law firms will think. Okay, forget them. They're over here. I get it. You know, lawyers are incredibly competitive, but unless they're your client target market, and and I get there are referrals between law firms, that's understandable, but focus on your core demographic, your core client base. You know, professional service is really, really hard to sell. It's not like you're selling an iPhone, a product, a physical product that you can see. It's professional services. So it's, it's that even harder element to demonstrate across, especially online as well, because you almost have what, you know, they say you've got five, six seconds to uh, impress somebody. Otherwise, you just carry on scrolling. So standing about out above all those other elements is, is going to be crucial for you. But yeah, it's um, don't worry about what other people are thinking. Write your content as long as it's not offensive or weird and wonderful. But that human element and it's going to make you different to everybody else. And please don't copy and paste other profiles. I've seen that done many times. I even saw somebody do it and he actually didn't change the name at the end of it. It was very, uh, very embarrassing for them. But yeah, just just bring out that human element from you. Uh, there's a managing partner who's got a Labradoodle called Molly. She knows who she is. I have a Labradoodle called Molly. We have this kind of common chat. She's not a client, but she's a very good friend of mine in the legal world. And uh, anytime she posts Molly, I post my Molly. And uh, yeah, that's kind of our common funny thing that we do from time to time. You know, a lot of people have dogs and even dogs as profiles on law firm websites as well, might I add, is a great thing to have on there. 
That leads into, I think, another important aspect, which is plain English explanations of the services you provide and why people need them. Lawyers can sometimes forget, again, as part of that talking to other members of the profession, that clients are coming to you because they don't understand what is going on. I think that's particularly relevant, actually, in your sector, Craig, lifetime planning, because you pitch up at your solicitor with your worldly goods, and you haven't a clue, really, have you? That's why you're going to see the solicitor to work out what you're going to do with them when the time comes. Yeah, and I mean, it goes beyond just the marketing, especially in the area of work that I'm specialising in. There are a number of avoidable issues when it comes to wills and trusts, which is because the language used is so difficult to understand that whilst there is a will and trust in place, people don't really understand what it was trying to get at, so they can't do it. So lawyers, definitely of old, but even now have a habit of perhaps using 10 words where one would suffice. Now, when it comes to marketing, As Rich said, you've got five or six seconds to make that count. So let's just use words that people understand and people get where you do need to use official legal jargon and terminology. And and there are many good circumstances to why you would. Why not have in brackets a plain English explanation as to what you mean? You know, intervivus trust. I know what it means. Lawyers know what it means. Your clients probably don't. So let's let's help them bridge that gap to make sure we can we can talk to them in a language they'll understand because that's how they're going to want to engage with you. If you're faced with information you don't understand on a subject you don't understand, very hard to have them be so brave as to then instruct them and say, you know, can can you help me? If you can look elsewhere and find something you don't understand is is explained in a way that you do understand it, so much more chance of attracting that client. Does it therefore pay as part of your brand building and your marketing strategy to put thought leadership pieces out there, you yourself writing pieces, talking to your clients. So in broadcasting, the central tenet of all good broadcasting is that you're always talking to one person. Even if you think 30 or 30,000 are going to be listening, you focus on a conversation with one person. And I think that's the strength that thought leadership, blogs, content can bring to the um, to the marketing strategy if they're done right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's answering the questions that the clients either haven't asked or they've asked and your content can answer those types of questions for them. And as Craig has said, you know, it's it's using using one word rather than 10. But in the nicest possible way, I can't stand the term thought leadership. It is a marketing spin. It's up there with white paper from IT companies. But then again, the term blog is, I think it's from the 80s. So there needs to be a new term personally that I think for, you know, thought leadership but basically helpful content. FAQs are a great thing on your website, explaining what it means. What is conveyancing? Why do I need a conveyancer? What is no-fault divorce? Having an FAQ on there because people ask questions in Google. Billions of questions are asked every day in Google. If your website can answer one of those questions, guess what? It benefits from an SEO perspective. Those questions can be used in Google My Business, and then you can start ranking for it. So some people go, oh, well, I, if I answer these questions, why would the client bother coming to me? Because you're not, you can't answer all the question, but you can give a synopsis or a summary of it. And then you have the call to action. If you need further assistance with this, then contact us. Or even a downloadable document, tips or guidance around a subject matter. You can capture the details and then follow it up. But content will always drive, will always help visitors come to you. It's how you answer the problems that clients are asking. And if you want a great tip, there's a website. um, Oh, it's gone from my mind. uh, Ask ask the public, I think it's called. And you can type in any question and it will frame a number of questions around that particular subject for you. So, and that's a free tool that you can use that many marketers, many law firms use to start framing their content of what people are asking. 
I think the helpful topics is, is a great concept. I, I don't mind thought leadership rich quite as much as you, sir, but, uh, you know, each their own. But you're right. So the thing that lawyers have in, in spades is, is information and knowledge. Um, and they are well versed in, in the area of law they practice. And they will have seen multiple cases go right and go wrong. And there will be things that people can do to avoid X and things they can do to guarantee Y. And putting that together in a nice plain English piece and um, having that content available, either downloadable or, 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 or free to access, you know, uh, top tips on packing up for your move, things of that nature, you know, don't leave it to the last minute, some useful information, value adds that your clients will gain from you, which will also build your trust and your brand as well. And that's really what this is all about. Do you think in terms of time spent then that concentrating on your bios, concentrating on your LinkedIn responses is possibly better, and I do now use this term slightly hesitantly, than concentrating on thought leadership pieces. Do you think that that may be a secondary activity in in terms of priority? I, I think it kind of covers both. I mean, the thing is, with LinkedIn, if somebody's asking you a question on LinkedIn, you get a direct message on LinkedIn. The first thing I say is take that conversation offline as quickly as possible. Because, and I get it all the time, I get lots of people asking me lots of questions and they're trying to get free information. And the lawyer still in instances, you know, will be doing billables, you know, six minute increments mm-hmm. and trying to respond to these kind of questions. How can you? So on a number of the social media platforms, they already have pre-built in or you can create pre- pre-built responses. But my first recommendations clients is uh, basically take the conversation offline as quickly as possible, get it in your case management system. So it's then, you know, you have a recording or, you know, have some kind of audit of the conversation, but try not to go down the rabbit hole of giving lots of questions or giving lots of answers to questions. Otherwise you won't actually get the work and you're giving a lot away. So you need to have in place a, a kind of a process of if they start asking these questions, at what point do you go, actually, this, this is getting into the realms of me offering you legal advice to which I need to talk to you over the phone or we need to book in a meeting. And some lawyers are quite afraid of doing that in case the prospect runs away. But guess what? The prospect runs away. They were never going to buy from you in the first place. And it's how you respond to those initial questions, which will make them continue down. And then hopefully you, you book them in as a client. I'd speak to a number of the clients I work with who provide an initial consultation, sort of a 30 minute consultation in order for them to understand more about lifetime planning and, and elements of that. And some of them have found that has been terribly abused where a lot of people are booking that 30 minutes for this free advice piece, this free consultation piece. So they put sort of process in place. So, you know, there's a prerequisite the amount of information that you need in order to qualify for that. To that case and they found that those who are prepared to share that information with them invariably do want the information do want to instruct them long term um but yeah absolutely you, you know your time is so valuable you can't do it for free you're going to put some good content out there you're going to give some advice that's going to be free with actually engaging on a direct one-to-one basis that is your opportunity there i say it to convert that prospect into a client and start working with them properly And kind of going back to if you've got, you know, helpful guides or tips on your website or a great service page with FAQs around it. If somebody asks me about my particular service, rather than me regurgitating my service page, I send the link to that service page to them and go, here's all the details on there for you. Have a look. If you have any questions, we'll book in a call and we'll go from there. And that basically can either work one of two ways, either one, they get the information, they go away no problem. Or two, they read the information, go, you know what, I've kind of read this, but I want to talk to you because I want to discuss it further. But that will save you time. And I've said to a number of lawyers, if you're, let's say you're an employment lawyer, have that service page 
in your favorite somewhere. So you can just copy and paste it, drop it in, send it across to them. Uh, if you would review solicitors and you've got great glowing reviews, copy and paste some of those and put that into have some pre-made responses and send it through to them top and tail it i always do this on linkedin very rarely has anybody gone you sent the same message to somebody else i tailor it to the individual but there is some boilerplate text in there. Saves me time. We, we've only got a number of minutes, hours in the day. We, we can't all be sat there manually typing. We'll never get any work done. I think that's a very good, actually, strategy tip as well that's hiding in plain sight there. What you're really saying is when you are building your strategy, also build your processes alongside. If this happens, then this is the action that we will take. And that also enables people to know where the boundaries are in terms of, as you rightly say, converting somebody from being, yes, we're having a preliminary conversation to actually we now need to have a consultation. And I think that's really good advice to put out underneath this, because I think that's one of the things that people don't think about that often is the next steps to take it on. Can I just change, you mentioned, Rich, customer feedback and reviews. We know that this is a tricky area because there's a number of review sites which lawyers can find themselves appearing on. Is the advice to concentrate on one particular one and then make sure that you engage well with the reviews that are coming up? Yes, in, in, in a nutshell. I mean, the biggest one is uh, you've got Google My Business where people can leave reviews. Okay, then you've got review solicitors. I know that there's, there was a pilot last year um, that the SRA were looking into making reviews mandatory. I think that pilot might be coming to an end. I don't know the results of it. There's actually 12 re review sites for solicitors. Some are kind of legal slash another area. So there's probably dedicated legal. There's about five. But yeah, Review Solicitors is, it has every law firm in the country on it. It has a free one and a premium version. But if you're going to start out, I would focus on Google My Business one. And the biggest thing is don't ignore your reviews. If you get a bad review, respond to it. Don't bury your head in the sand and do nothing. Have in place, you know, if there's a, a really negative review, what processes do you have in place to respond to them? If you don't respond to a, re a review and you leave it for days, weeks and months, that can have more negative detriment to your brand than anything else. And also positive reviews responding to them. So I see a lot of law firms that respond to the positive ones and the negative ones. Oh, that's so and so. Yeah, we don't bother with that one. Yeah, but you don't bother with it because maybe the client might have been troublesome. But what about the prospective clients who can see it? Also, don't self-review. I'm still seeing a lot of this. Lawyers are getting their family members to leave reviews. Those are not suitable. And if Google finds out about it, I don't know if they will, but if they find out about it, they will remove your Google My Business page because it goes against their policy. But if you get a negative review and it's not your fault, it's from the other side, you can raise it and you can get those requested to be removed. So um, yeah, don't bury your head in the sand and respond to them because that's what people will, will see is they'll read your response. In the same way as on uh, TripAdvisor, you see the general manager leaving a review back if somebody's left a negative review. People read the response of the general manager. How did they respond? Because that speaks volumes, especially for your profile, your brand and your communication with your clients. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't put it better, Rich. If your brand is all about honesty and about giving good quality and upfront information, then to ignore a negative review goes exactly against what you've been trying to achieve. So given an honest response to that negative review and trying to resolve it, probably have to take it offline to do so, is key important. But likewise, don't ignore the positive ones. You know, you're proud you've done a good service. That's what you want to achieve for your clients and you're really happy to have done so. Let them know you're grateful for that because that's exactly what you are really. And, and the only way your prospect's going to see that is if you respond to those reviews.
I, I would say if you get a negative review, it's a great way, an opportunity for you to learn what's not right with your business. What did we do wrong? Because you could have a matter and conveyancing is probably the, the biggest one where you onboard a client, tick, brilliant, great onboarding. It's the exchange completion where everybody throws stones at the conveyancers who, by the way, are working absolutely incredible at the moment. And the hardest part is when they get a negative review because they will remember you for that last bit at the end. So some people will do incremental reviews where they've got a positive one at the beginning, in the middle, and it may not be great at the end. But understanding what you did wrong, where you dropped the ball, where the communication wasn't good, you can then basically pick that up and address it. It's a great way of understanding this is what we didn't do right. How can we fix it so it doesn't happen again? Everybody learns in business. I learn in business every single day. I've had a negative review. I simply said, what can I do better? And they gave me the information. I went, thank you. They said, I was really worried you were going to name and shame me on LinkedIn. I went, I would never do that. I just wanted to know what I did wrong because we're all human, what I could do right and how I'm going to learn from it. Standard business practice. Is it a good policy to actively ask your customers to review you, to point them how to do it, to really encourage it as part of your marketing strategy? Yes, absolutely. Some people will believe in sending a request for a review directly after you've completed uh, a matter because, you know, once they've dealt with it and it's all been completed, you know, they're on, they're going to go and do their thing, which I totally understand. Incremental reviews, though, are just as important because you can understand each stage of the client journey rather than right at the end. You know, some legal cases will go on for years and years. And if you get the review at the end, it was awful, but you did 99% of it was great. Those incremental reviews will help you understand how the back office maybe are working. But yes, I, I would always ask for reviews. I ask for reviews on uh, for Google My Business. It's easier. Uh, majority of most people are signed up to either Google or they can, you can add leave a, a review on Google. Uh, you just need to put your email address in. You can still leave that. You can go to next step as far as if you have a really good relationship with the client is asking them to give you a recommendation on your LinkedIn. I only ask that if you know, basically, you know, you've done a great job, not a good job, a great job. And you're very confident the client is going to say, yes, no problem at all. By the way, nobody can give you a negative review on LinkedIn unless you accept the wording from that individual. So if they said you've done a bad job and you've gone, yeah, I'll post that, no problem. It will show on your profile. You can never get a negative review on LinkedIn because you have to vet it. Also, don't, if somebody asks you to write a recommendation or you ask somebody to write a recommendation, you know, let's say, oh, Craig, can you write me a LinkedIn recommendation, please? Hopefully Craig wouldn't message me back and go, you write it, send it to me, and then you can share it, or then we can do it in that way. Okay, if people do that, that's not really a genuine review. And yeah, kind of going back to not breaking any of, any of the policies of, of, you know, reviews from your family members or, you know, non-reviews that aren't even linked to the matter itself. So yeah, I think asking for reviews is crucial in building your personal brand, the firm's brand, and your overall team as well. I think you're right, Rich. I think there was a time perhaps where lawyers were worried about um, how that would come across. But of course, we're asked to review everything, aren't we? Now, every time we make any purchase, we're asked to review it. Goodness, I purchased some batteries from Amazon and was asked to review them. Well, their batteries, they they arrived and they power items. I, I don't really know what more I want to say about these batteries, but there we are. I was still asked to relieve a review all the same. The services lawyers provide is not a battery-based service, right? It is a hugely important, emotive process, and they have managed that for that client invariably to the best of their abilities. And it won't always go the way the client wants and not always the way the solicitor wants because there are so many factors at play. 
interim reviews are a great idea, but asking for those reviews is so important because the services they do does warrant a response and uh, say, I think it's, uh, it's more than fair to ask for that from the clients. I love the, the battery reviews that just there's a B&Q. If you buy something from B&Q, they will say, send you a review and go, would you recommend this to your friends and family? Quite frankly, I put in the box, I don't talk about rakes to my friends and family. <laughs> um, so I don't think I will recommend, I'll recommend B&Q, but will I recommend this rake to uh, my best friend down the road? Probably not because he doesn't have a garden. So I always find those types of things. Also, if you want reviews, make it as easy as possible yeah. for the client to respond. Don't send paper reviews anymore because it costs in postage. I think I worked it out it was about £185 per 100 paper-based reviews. By the time they've left the door, you can't track them, you know, and then they have to send them back. And some law firms won't even pay postage for a pre-reply, pre-replied postage envelope, as a mouthful, or they, they won't put the stamp in there and expecting the client to post it and send it back. If you put lots of obstacles in between getting asking for the review and receiving it, the chance of you converting and having a review are very, very slim. So make it easy as possible. Multiple choice. Optional feedback box at the end, click submit, done. Even on text, you can now leave reviews on text. So yeah, I love that battery story one, Craig. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I want people to go away from this with a starting point. So perhaps three takeaways from each of you, short ones, which could perhaps help start that conversation, the things that you think they should focus on. Can I start with you, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Rich would have some, some more technical ones. So I want to keep this quite basic and quite quite simple. Number one is decide what you want to do. So have an objective you want to achieve, put a plan together based upon achieving that objective, and most importantly, see it through and record how you do. As you do with every project you do, marketing is, 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 a, is a project in, in so many ways. You have to go through those three things, decide what you want to do, put a plan together, and then see that plan through. Mine would be kind of similar to Craig's one, setting expectations. If you're going to do a PPC campaign, what are the expectations and the objectives of that campaign? You know, if you run it for a month and you, you know, you're getting 20 inquiries at the moment and you want to quadruple it, those are not serious expectations unless your budget, you know, is, is very large. So setting expectations from the outset is crucial. Flexibility. With digital, it changes week to week, month to month. So you need to be flexible and you need to adapt to if something changes. 18 months ago, WhatsApp went down. Facebook disappeared for a period of 36 hours, I think it was. Lots of people panicked and didn't know what to do. So you need to be flexible in terms of where, you know, where your uh, platform is or what you're going to put content out there. And then lastly, your audience. Focus on your audience. The content needs to resonate for that particular audience. Don't just throw up that you're the best law firm. You do every single legal service. If you uh, concentrate on employment law, Focus on the audience that you want to attract for that particular piece of content and they will come along and they will then engage with it. But if you're generic with your content, expect the generic audience to be attracted. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Now, we've obviously covered a lot of ground. So if there are any questions or you'd like to speak to Craig about any aspect of today's discussion, then please feel free to contact him on craig.matthews at leap.co.uk. Or if you want to talk to Rich, then contact him on rich at staxtondigital.com. My huge thanks to Craig and Rich for being with us today. And thank you for listening. If there's any subject that you'd like to hear covered in this podcast, or indeed, if you want to join us for it, please do contact us at digitalsolicitor@leap.co.uk. So until next time, stay well and take care. Oh, 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 oh.